Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. We have a return guest with us today, Michael Klinkner, and I'm so happy to have him back. Michael is a licensed clinical social worker with over 22 years of experience helping children, adolescents, and adults in therapy. Michael has specialty training in cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and neurolinguistic programming. Currently, Michael is working with Evolve Counseling in Arizona, where he treats a variety of issues such as anxiety, depression, trauma, and ADHD, focusing primarily on children and adolescent populations. In addition to outpatient services, Michael teaches graduate level courses for the School of Social Work at Arizona State University. Michael, welcome back to the show. Graham, thank you so much for having me back. Great to have you back. You know, in our first show together, we had a chance to talk about adolescent mental wellness. And today we're talking about encouraging parent and adolescent communication. And I think my goal for today's show, Michael, around it kind of being our clinician series, we want to take our listeners kind of behind the therapy door, if you will, to show them what these sessions can look like. So I would really like it, our, our focus to be, as we talked earlier, to work to equip parents out there, as well as those that you know engage with adolescents, on how to enhance their communication with this population of young people. And as we get started today, maybe what you could do is just kind of set the groundwork for what are some of the common challenges to our adolescents these days, and what are they going through? The thing we see the most is perceived pressure on teens, especially around school and sports, where these there are these incredibly high expectations, and the teens feel as if they can't do anything but be perfect. And so bees aren't okay, and losing a game isn't okay. It, instead of, I'm, I'm always pushing for, for parents to emphasize effort over outcome. There is always, we've all had those teachers, we've all had those bosses that just don't like us. And no matter what you do, you're not gonna get it right. But, so we control what we can control. You can always control your effort and you can always control your attitude while giving that effort. And so I tell parents all the time, a kid that like scrapes together a B minus an algebra two because they don't do math well, is that's such a more important and better grade than an easy A in social studies because they they do that so well. And so there's so much anxiety and perfectionism that ends up coming from too high expectations and all this pressure we see, just especially on teens. So this idea about effort, I love that effort over outcome goals. We can control effort. We can't always control the outcome. There's a there's a lot of factors and variables that can thwart, you know, our outcomes, but we can control the effort. If you encourage effort. How do you see that being the best carryover for someone's life in later years versus always having to work for the outcome goals? Absolutely. So, Graham, that, that helps create what the, the term is called grit. And so yes. grit is that ability to do things when they're hard. And so whenever there's a big project or a, a big assignment or even like big tasks for later in life, when it feels and like seems like a really uphill battle, can you yeah. do it? Do you got it? And so grit comes very simply from failing. And so when you've tried something and you haven't pulled it off, even sometimes fail miserably, then that's the big learning lessons, right? Like it's whenever I tried something, I didn't pull it off. I couldn't do it. I get to then look at why and what do I do differently next time? And so as we're emphasizing that effort versus outcome, 
if I'm trying really hard and I like I study for hours for a test and I right. still fail that test, I've learned something. How do I bounce back? What do I do differently next time to make me a better student and to try harder yeah. or like in a sport? I love team sports for this where you can nail it. You can do great in your part, but your teammate's going to let you down and you're going to lose games where sometimes the other team is just playing better than you are. Yeah. Got it. You get to learn from that. You get to you get to know that you did your best, but it still wasn't good enough. Great. Now, what do you do next time? That really helps build that character of grit, which plays up very well for I and mean, that's the rest of your life. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I like this idea. You're you're suggesting that in an effort based focus, we're either winning or we're learning. It's yeah. one of those two. It's in and it's and it's safe. We're not we're not getting that grade. We're not hitting that you know field goal. We're not we're doing whatever. Okay, but did you learn something from it? Is there some takeaway? And that effort and that focus allows that grit to be uh, to be focused. Let, let me let me let me nudge us a wee bit. Let's talk about those parents and the perceived pressure that we can put on them. What is kind of what is underlying sometimes that pressure that parents are knowingly, unknowingly, unconsciously kind of pushing? What's driving that pressure? Did you learn? I think lots of times it's whenever parents personalize their kids' successes as their own. And so like when my kid does well, it's a reflection on me. But if my kid fails, it's a reflection on me. And so parents right. get so worried about like, what are the other parents going to think? What are the other parents going to say? How am I going to look if my if my kid is the right. slowest kid on the cross country team? Or, yeah. you, know, the, the, you know, the kid riding the end of the bench in basketball. For, for parents, then they take that personally, like somehow that has something to do with them. One of my daughters is a highly competitive cheerleader. And so her she's a base. And so her flyer, this happens all the time. We watch it all the time. She has one of those moms that sits through every practice all the time. And so whenever like my daughter is trying to like pick her up and balance her, that, that flyer is up looking at her mom to see if she's doing it right. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, that, and so she falls all the time because she's staring at her mom who's up on the balcony watching her do it. And so there's all this pressure, like, mom, am I doing it right? And it's going to be no, because you're not tight and you're not concentrating. And it's all because like that mom, she does this classically. It's the, if my daughter's not doing well, that says something about me. I mean, it's also, you know, cheer moms are famous for this stuff, but it's that whole idea that I'm going to look to you, not concentrate at the task, because I'm just trying to make you happy by, by achieving the stuff that you think I need to achieve. It's really a good thing you're talking about. You know, you started out by saying, well, I was saying, what are some of the common challenges? And you said the perceived pressure around academics and sports. I'm sure other things too, but academics and sports. But it's really the perceived pressure that parents are putting on themselves by personalizing things. And this trickles down into the child not having a free and safe environment with which to explore, learn, fail, and then learn some more and be successful along the way. So it's really that perceived pressure being passed down, isn't it? Oh my gosh, absolutely, Graham. That's right on because then it's it's that idea of also what is going to happen then. So even when I achieve something, yeah. it's still never enough because now I need to do it again and do it again and do it again. And so there's no victories. It's just like, okay, I did it good enough this time. Now I get to wait for next time. Yeah, that's where I found some kids too getting a little afraid and a little gun shy. You know, they go out and they'll have a good game. They'll go out and have a good, you know, a good cheer session or they'll go out and get a good grade and success in whatever whatever way. But then they kind of clinch up. They, 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 they get afraid of, can I do that again? Can I, can I repeat that? And I saw the joy and happiness and, you know, the eyes and the response of those that were pleased with me. I guess I got the approval, but I got a little afraid, you know, I kind of maybe don't take that shot next time, or maybe I don't take that, you know, that I don't put in quite that effort. Cause I'm afraid. What if I, what if I 
put that same effort in? And what if I keep trying, but I'm not quite as successful next time? Are you going to be approving of me or are you going to be disappointed? So rather than face that disappointment, I kind of preemptively kind of kind of sandbag myself. Absolutely. We'll see this on like test taking all the time too, where the yeah. kid will know the information. They'll right. get all this anxiety. And just like you said, they'll clench up. And so it does it and so they'll retake the test or they get like do it again and they have all of those answers. Absolutely. They just can't pull it off in the moment because they get themselves so like they walked into that room knowing the information, the test is in front of them, they choke up, which is the last thing they need. Yeah. And so it goes back to your 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 emphasis of if the pet parents can depersonalize their children's experiences and their endeavors and just let that be theirs. Let it be theirs. We as parents, we've had ours. We had our education, we had our sports, we had whatever we were doing. Let it be theirs and just provide that safe environment so it's either they're winning or learning and there's some great, you know, ideally conversations and, and, and bonding taking place. Speaking of conversations, again, what we're trying to kind of whittle down into here, we know that about 22% of our young people ages 13 to, to, to 18 are going to have some kind of mental health issue every year. And one of the things I know in your work that you encourage is what we refer to as open dialogue. And we kind of use that phrase, you know, in, in the way that we use it. But what does open dialogue mean in, in your mind and in your work? And what are some of the relational underpinnings necessary for this to occur? Well, there has to be solid attachment to begin with. And yeah, so okay. it's that there's a, there's a basic relationship in place between the parents and their, their kid or teen. And so it's, it's the, can we have tough conversations? Can we, as, as the teen, can I go to you and talk about, Hey, I'm really struggling with my anxiety or even like the, Hey, I'm at a party. My ride is, my ride is drunk. I got drunk. Can you come get me? Those sort of things. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And you're not in trouble. In fact, great job. Everyone's, everyone's going to get home safe tonight because you were able to call me and know that I wasn't going to lose my mind because you got drunk. So or, Michael, that just just real quick around that. So that that, yeah, yeah. that 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 attachment you're suggesting is, I don't care what the situation is, and I don't care what your predicament is. You and I are okay. You and I are going to be okay. So take me up on the assuredness that this attachment, this belonging that we have, is solid. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's also the idea that you can a kid could say to their parents, like, "Hey, you're putting a lot of pressure on me." Right. It's, and it's it's making it hard to take the tests or when you're at every one of my practices for the whole time, I can't concentrate on what I'm doing. It's it's that ability for then that open dialogue is from the kid to the parent to be able to say those tough things that'll be tough mm -hmm. for a parent to hear, but they'll take it and they'll take it in. They'll validate that kid's experience. They'll validate that kid's emotions and they'll be able to adjust their behavior. That'll that'll then make make a huge difference in the future. So they'll continue to come to you with tough stuff. So what are successful parents doing? Maybe things like time spent or maybe routines or maybe conveying family values, maybe their own self-reflection. What are some of the things that parents are doing that allow this attachment, which ideally best starts early, but doesn't mean that it can't happen later on? You know, we can always hit a restart and, you know, let's pick up from here. But what are some sure. of the things that parents are doing that allow that attachment to be formed in a solid way? You as the parent have to create the time and space yeah. for the for those conversations to happen. And so I encourage, I feel like a broken record with this stuff. I encourage parents at five or 10 minutes every day where you're just plopping down next to your kid. They're probably in the room. 
So you're just going to be there. And it might be that you're like, you're both just on your phones next to each other, or you're just checking in like, hey, best part of your day, worst part of your day. Here's the best part of my day. Here's the worst part of my day. Also, I tell parents all the time, date your kids, take them out once a month, go do something that they want to do and just be there together. And so car rides are amazing times for conversation because there's no expected awkward eye contact. You can have the radio on. So there's, there's not silence. And if you're like, you're running around and doing stuff together, you can be having one of these tougher conversations. It'll break up. Like as you run into Target, go, you know, go do a little bit of shopping and then come back and you can rejoin that conversation. Those that gives that time and space where if they have something to say, there's a place to do it. And now you foster this relationship where, Hey, I'm here. And sometimes we're going to, you know, have an, an idiot time and laugh really hard as we're running around to like Target and doing that stuff. Or sometimes we're going to talk about your friend who we who you just told me is cutting. And so that we can talk about that stuff too. And the conversation to go all over the place. But it's those are never also like, hey, did you do your homework? Or right. you got to clean up your room. If, if for those dedicated and intentional times, you're just there with your kid for your kid. You're not complaining and running your own agenda. That's so good, man. I, I, I like this idea of having time that is both quantity and quality, this idea that there's a knownness that comes from those times that, and, and our kids want to be known. What about this idea though for parents? And this is a sometimes a challenging thing that I run into in my, my, my practice is parents will kind of in, in many ways say, it's hard for me to give what I never got. Oh, it's sure. hard for me to, to be able to show up in ways that I'm kind of clunky, you know, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm a little embarrassed. How do you have those talks? How do you kind of gently nudge and maybe even challenge parents to say, hey, let's let's come into these times. What do you do? They have a frame of reference somewhere for what they're trying to pull off. And so lots of times I'll refer to, you know, parents who work, I'll be like, okay, tell me about, okay, you manage 20 people. Right. How do you have those tough conversations with one yeah, of your yeah. employees? How do you how do you bring it up? How do you sit down? How do you get through that awkwardness? Because no one ever taught you there either, but you picked it up somewhere. How do we translate that skill set to talking with your kids? They know it somewhere. They're just, they get so worked up and there's so much context to it. And there's so much emotion to it, usually different than work, that that's what's getting in the way. And so then it's also this perceived awkwardness that it's going to go badly or the kid isn't going to talk. So they, they chicken out because they don't want to go well. Like that's the sex talk. It's, you know, the birds and the bees talk where everybody just avoids because if you did have one, it was so awkward with your parents but they're so necessary. I mean, you don't have one, you have 512 of them. <laughs> exactly. You don't have just one. You have 512 of them because you do. And that's what gets to be done. You know, I like this idea too of uh, if you're successful in one area, let's say work and managing people or things with your colleagues, why not generalize? If you're successful in one area, you can generalize that to another area. Yep. And the idea we can bring this in, just real quick, I want to tag onto that, but what do what do teens what would teens like parents to know about their willingness to talk if the parent would just come in and ask a question or two? That they desperately want it. They want that connection. They want those times. They want their parents to ask. So yes. we'll see lots of acting up and attention-seeking behaviors mm-hmm. just so their parents will pay attention to them, where that's yeah. the whole goal is just like, if I don't get in trouble, I don't ever hear from you. And if, I, if I'm passing all my classes, I don't ever hear a word from you. Or like mm-hmm. the parents will, that will like... Sco- you know, on the, like the school app that has all their grades and assignments, parents will school press, you know, the five A's that the kid has and be like, Hey, what's up with your C? And yeah. kids want to, kids want to hear like, 
hey, tell me what I'm doing well, not just when I'm messing up and talk to me about the hard things. They really want that. Because if not, the only peer people they have is their peers. And good luck with how those conversations go. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're talking about acting up and this is a key piece for parents right here listening and those that work with teens. If they're acting up more times than not, there's a need being expressed. You know, we can work things out in one of three ways, can't we? We can act it out, we can think it out, we can talk it out. And a lot of times teens not having the ability to kind of talk it out yet, they think it out, they ruminate, they obsess about it, or they act it out. It comes out sideways, you know, and it's so easy to kind of judge and be punitive and punish that acting out. But if we can just say, hey, what's this behavior about? That's what you're encouraging here. This might be about something. What's going on? Help me understand what's underneath this possibly and help them learn to bring it to a conversation level. Much what you're saying is teens just want to find a way to talk. And sometimes they act their best entree into, I don't know how to bring this up. Can you please bring it up? Yeah, it's all behavior is communication. And so it's yeah. never about the behavior. It's what are they Very communicating good. with that behavior? And so as parents, it's our job to, to look at what's underneath and yeah. get to and talk about what they're saying with what they're doing versus just getting caught up in trying to like punishments and consequences and things like that. Every time I get a parent who like it's an intake and they'll say like, well, they just need like someone else to talk to. They just need like a third person that they can express themselves to. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's <laughs> not at all. That lets me know your relationship's off. And actually you're going to be doing most of the work here, parent, because I shouldn't be the person they're going to with all their stuff. It's supposed to be you. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental health first aid provides the resources and training to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through Mental Health First Aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. Yeah, that's so good. You know, we're talking about different ways and kind of routines that we can build in. I think car rides are awesome. I used to love taking my kids to school. One of my worst days was when my son got his license. We couldn't, I couldn't drive him to high school anymore, you know, because mm. I love those rides in the car. We just talked and whatever it may be and laugh. Sometimes we didn't just listen to music, but you know, you have those 99 car rides and then you have that hundredth one that says, Hey dad, can I talk to you about something? And that yeah. wouldn't have happened unless those prior 99 are there, but these routines, car rides, whatever, there's also a routine around dinner. I did some research around this coming into today's talk, and I'm curious about your thought on this. Only about 30% of families manage to eat together regularly, but teens rank family dinners pretty high on their list of things to do. In fact, 80% of teenagers say that family dinner is the time of the day they're most likely to talk to their parents. And what we know is that family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety, substance abuse, eating disorders, and tobacco use, and early teen pregnancies, and a higher rate of resilience and self-esteem. 
holy cow, here's one routine that we could easily build in, not every night, but maybe more times than not that have these kinds of, you know, give back. This is a return on an investment just for one routine around dinner. Incredible. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And so everyone's so busy and kids are all over the place and kids, you know, everyone's schedules full. But those nights when you can do it, to do it around the table, don't do it in front of the TV and sit there and talk. And so if the conversation is very simply, hey, highs and lows, everybody go around the table, best part of your day, worst part of your day, best part of your week, worst part of your week. Or I love go in some store, go and get a thing of conversation starters. And you just have those cards at the dinner table and then everybody pulls one out and everybody answers it. And you just go around and sometimes they're silly, but sometimes they're they're more in depth. And that's because it's sometimes everyone gets worried about like, what are we going to talk about? Those conversation starter cards are perfect for that because that's you don't right. have to come up with everything. <laughs> and then you, as the parent, also has to answer those. I, that's an easy trick. And then when you run through the whole pack, you buy a new one. Yeah. I love this right here because you're, you're saying, hey, there are tools out there or just highs and lows, good and bad. Giving someone just communication starters, all we got to do is get it started. Once we get it started, we, you know, we think we're, our kids are going to be quiet. They might be on the first couple of rounds, but after they get going, they start to talk and sometimes we don't even have oh, a lot more selfish. Yes. <laughs> we don't have much room to kind of fill those conversations around. You also, you know, in your articles that you write, you talk about talking about what defines us as a family. What are our family values that identify us, that bond us, that create an attachment that we can kind of circle our wagons around that these are the things that are important to our family. Talk about the importance of family values and the discussion of those as a family system. So when you're talking about the more difficult topics like mental health or anxiety or depression, it's then you get to talk through what your point of view is on those things. Or like for you as a kid, what it was like growing up. And so you don't have to say things like, well, we as a family believe the following. You just get like you get to say, okay, here's how I come at those sort of things. Here's how I think about those things. Here's how I think about the current political climate. Here's how I think about like what's been going on and with, you know, mass shooting, stuff like that. And so because you're having those more difficult conversations about the heavier topics, you are you're instilling in your child what those family values are. They're going to pick it up. They're going to know. Also, they they get to disagree. They get to have alternative points mm-hmm. of view and they get mm-hmm. to save things from their point of view that you may be the exact opposite of. And that's yeah. okay. Cause then you get to ask really open-ended questions like, well, hold on, walk me through that. Like, how did, how did you think about that? Or where did that come from? Or like, what are you, what are you seeing or reading that's influencing you that way? And so then you get to talk about like, okay, God, I see where you're coming from, but yeah. have you thought about it this way? Or have you thought about that? Because then they're getting not only just how you think, but also like what you as a family perceive as right versus wrongs or okay versus not okay, any of that stuff. And it's, you know, the, that can only come out in the course of those more difficult topics. Let me, let me talk this segue just a little bit. Taking what you're saying right here, if we can use our family values as kind of a foundational entree into talking about some of the critical conversations that you encourage parents to have with their teens, where the parent is taking an active and initiating kind of role, unless the kids bring it up, that's fine too. But if they can take that kind of role, if we come at some of the topics that you recommend we talk about, and maybe tell us a little bit about the importance of each one, things like mental health, suicide, drug abuse, self-harm, sex, sexuality, abuse, bullying. These are some of the topic areas that you say we should be talking about 512 times 
with our kids. But you're saying maybe we can enter into these, not saying, hey, suicide is bad or drug use is wrong or sexuality, you know, this is, you're saying if we can come at it with the shared underlying value of here's here's where I come at this from. It's not judging it. It's here's my value around it. And having that as an entree and maybe asking the kids what their values around it might be. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's just start with mental health. And so with any of these topics, by the way, it can be awkward to sort of like bring it up out of the blue. But as a parent, you should you should be the one bringing it up. If your kid does great, but if not, that's your job. Use headlines, use recent news, use things that you've seen or like media you've been exposed to. So you can say like, hey, I was listening to this like idiot therapist in Arizona who's talking about teen mental health stuff. Like, hey, kiddo, do any of your friends struggle with mental health stuff? Mm-hmm. Or do you know anybody that does? Because then you could bring up the topic and your kid doesn't have to talk about themselves. They can talk about the topic and then you can bridge it to, hey, what's your anxiety get like? Or like, when do you feel really down? Or what are the times whenever you feel like so overwhelmed, you don't know what to do? And you get to talk them through that. And then you you also have to give your own stories there then too. That's also going to be like the, yeah, I know just how that feels. I get overwhelmed when, you know, dot, dot, dot. And you then talk through your own because now you guys are in it together. That's that attachment piece where I'm sharing, hey, I'm not perfect either. I also struggle with these things. And when I was your age, here's how I struggled with those things. And so you can use topics or media to bring up mental health and to talk about that. It is such a huge topic for kids and teens. It's around a lot. They're consuming it on their social medias. It's kind of everywhere and very normalized. And so they'll have a sense. Even tweens know a lot of know a lot about this and already have really big thoughts. So mental health, absolutely on that, suicide. Bring that topic up. We, I'm in Phoenix and in the East Valley, and it's been a brutal situation out here with teen suicide. Mm-hmm. We are some of the highest in the nation. And it's all because mm-hmm. of that perceived pressure that I talked about, where at the beginning of the school year, around this time of year, because we have finals coming up right now, and then toward the end of the school year, where we'll see a rash. It's two, three, four kids, like right in a row, right, one right after another, like from the same high school sometimes. And, and bring that, talk about that topic. Talk about like, hey, you ever get there? You ever have those thoughts? You ever get that far? Do any of your friends ever do that? What do you do when a, one of your friends tells you that they're thinking about that? How do you handle it? And then, you know, hey, kiddo, how do you know when to tell an, an adult about those things? Because then yeah. ultimately it's the, I'm so worried about you, friend. How do I, you know, I got to call in the troops because this is a little bit too much for me. Bring that up. Talk to them very specifically about it. You don't have to like, then give them a lecture about using the 988, you know, helpline or something like that. You can just let them know that, listen, I've been there. I know just what that's like. Anytime, kiddo, if you have to wake me up at three in the morning, I'm good. You can always come to me. I'm never going to judge you. And we'll figure it out together. We'll always figure it out. Yeah, but Michael, if I'm talking to my child and they're on the brink and I don't know it and I bring it up, that's going to tip them over the edge, isn't it? They're already going over the edge. You just don't know it. They're driving their car over the edge of that cliff, so to speak. It's and if it's heading that way, it's it's heading that way. You're not going to like, you know, your kid isn't then going to go, you know, I wasn't thinking about suicide. But now that you brought it up, perhaps that's an option for me. No, absolutely not. And if it's in there, it's already in there. And if they're thinking that way, they're re- they want somebody to ask. They honestly do. They don't until after you get to that point where you've already decided that you're going to attempt. But anytime up before that and it, even right up to that moment of attempt, 
lots of times they want somebody to ask because we'll see those statistics about afterwards about the amount of time kids regret and wish they hadn't attempted. And so if they survive, they're going to look back on it and go, I I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I would have reached out. I wish I had used my support people around me as a resource versus keeping this all to myself and not letting anybody know. Yeah. So this idea of kind of initiating, kind of nudging these conversations, I, I know you also encourage additional topics like drug use or sexuality, sex, abuse, bullying. Give us some lead-ins to these kinds of conversations as well. In addition to maybe using media as, a, as an entree, what are some other lead-ins that we can use? You know, driving your kid to or from school, that's easy one is like, hey, how many people did you see vaping in the bathroom today? How many people do you know that were smoking pot? How many people do you think like in your classes are high at any given time? Uh, what do you think's behind that? What do you think's going on that way? What do you know about where they get it from? Like that kind of stuff. Just like the, hey, what's around? What like what's going on? Trying to get the vibe of overall their high school. If they're riding the bus, by the way, they're around all of this stuff. Like towards the back of the bus, like so many people are vaping, blowing it out the window, either nicotine or, or marijuana. And you can just ask those questions like, hey, like, you know, you don't have to tell me names or anything, but how much are you seeing that, kiddo? How much of that stuff is around? What's that like for you? And yes. then when's yeah. the last time somebody offered it to you? Because somebody's offered it somewhere. Somebody has said something, that kind of stuff is around. And then also there's lots of times, just as an aside, when the marijuana is around, because it's just around a, a, a lot more these days, or even things like MDMA or acid or any like the club drugs, so much is fentanyl lace, just that idea that like, you know, okay, you know, I, I get that you're smoking sometimes. I understand that comes up or like at parties, it's kind of around. You got to be safe. It's really important to be safe. Same thing around sex with, you know, if you're aware that your kid is sexually active, with, you know, what you think about that, you get to talk about your family values about whether that stuff is okay or not okay. But it's also, also be safe. Yes. Whatever you're doing, be smart about it, be safe about it, and, and to make sure that they get why that's important to you, that you can accept that, like, sometimes kids are going to, like, do things or, like, to talk to their, you know, hey, how many of your friends are sexually active? What's what's going on that way? Are, are they being safe? Do you know that they're being safe? Things like that are really good conversations to have, too. Yeah, Michael, I'm afraid that my child, let's say, is possibly being bullied or intimidated, maybe even abused, you know, by their other other peers, I don't know how to address that one. How do I bring that one up? Hey, kiddo, I see a lot when you're coming home from school, you look really down. You look like you got defeated that day. You look like something happened. What's going on? Like who's saying what? What's happening throughout the school day? Is it about grades? Is it about classes? Or is it it about the other kids? And then listen. And maybe they want you to bring the toolbox. Maybe they want you to bring the Kleenex box. Like maybe they want you to help solve it. Maybe they just want you to listen. Because sometimes those things aren't that solvable and telling a teacher doesn't always get effects and it doesn't always make make things better. And lots of times it can make it worse because now the teacher is going to talk to the kid bullying them. They're going to know who talked to them and now you're really going to pay. And so it's the, you know, if they, if they need some help, you can help teach them some like skills of assertiveness, what to say back, how to handle those situations, how to avoid it, how to deflect like, any of the, like any of that stuff if they need that or just let them vent and let them be there for it and talk about it. It sucks. And there's this kid that comes by every day and says something horrible to them. And you get to talk through what's that like? How's that affect you? Does it, yeah. is that affecting your self-esteem, what you believe about yourself? Things like that. And so it's, if you notice, if it's happening, you're going to notice that your kid is off easy doorway in. just talk about what's bothering them. So let's take it one step further. Let's say the, 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 the bullying gets to be where it, 
moves into a place of it becomes really detrimental to our child. And this is a time when all the techniques really nicely stated, by the way, are good, but this is above their pay grade. And we need to kind of step in either with another parent or some school. How do you, how do you have that conversation with your child first about, Hey, honey, this is one of those times when I think I'm going to need to step in with you. I got to be a sheepdog here because there's some wolves out there that are hurting my sheep and, and I don't want that to happen. So I need to step in here, but dad, if you do that, it's going to get worse. I know, honey, but I got to, how do I, how do I have that conversation with my child first? And then either the parent or the authority involved here. Yeah. So in those situations, when you're letting them know, like as sometimes as parents, what we have to do is I got you kiddo, but I have to protect you here, even though you really don't want me to, I know where this is going and it's going to get worse. And I'm watching you slip further and further, and it's not going to get better by itself anymore. And so we've tried everything we know how to try. It's getting worse and it's getting worse. This is the time we, we have to call we have to call the school in. And so I'm going to go sit down and have a person-to-person meeting with your vice principal to let them know, or whoever the authority person is, to let them know what's going on. My commitment to you, kiddo, is going to be that they're not going to come talk to you about it. They're not going to go straight to that bully. We're going to come up with a plan where it's going to be obviously very discreet, but it will get addressed. And it's going to be on people's radar because this has to stop. And if it doesn't stop even after this, I'm going to get really squeaky and so things can get better. I love you too much not to protect you here. And I get that you don't want me to, but I can't keep watching you suffer. Yeah, Michael, I love that piece. What you're conveying right there is maybe something, you know, and we need to be taught this is best modeled. And you're modeling it really nicely with that conversation. We get to teach our children their self-value. Because what's happening at school is it's being, you know, eroded away and diminished and you're basically saying you are of too much value and you might get used to being, you know, teased or taking the bullying, but I'm not going to allow it at a certain point and you're too valuable. And what that does, I think later on is that allows, you know, our, our kids to go into their future relationships with self-value and good esteem, good value, yeah. good self-worth that allows them to determine good behavior and bad behavior, whether it's in their dating or their choices and in, in friendships. So I really like this point right here that you're making. Lots of times too, teens will come back with the whole like, oh, well, if you're going to go talk to the principal, then I'm not going to tell you anything anymore. Mm -hmm. If this is how you're going to handle it, you get to come back with things like, I know that we have a good relationship and I understand that you're frustrated right now and you know that I love you and I know that you love me. So I know just this one thing isn't going to just straight break our relationship. And so I get what you're saying right now. I I totally hear it. And kiddo, I know that we're going to have good talks again in the future. Yeah, I know you're probably scared right now, but I'm going to ask yeah. you to trust me. Just trust me here. Yeah, I got your back. It's it's okay. We'll handle this together. Oh, well, I love that piece. Hey, let's uh, shift just a wee bit in our time here today. One of the you know the things everybody's talking about right now, what everybody's glued to, is our social media, our devices, etc. And we oftentimes see, you know hear parents say, "Is it you know is it right for me to check up on them and how much time online is okay? And should I be concerned about the things they're being exposed to that I may not know?" What are some practical tips that you've got, Michael, that are just foundational things and conversations that parents get to have with their child around social media and their devices? So talk to them about like, what's the craziest message you've gotten from somebody you don't know? <laughs> what's the craziest message one of your friends have gotten? How sexual do those things get sometimes? What's the what's the thing that you that you've seen online that you thought was scary or inappropriate or didn't make sense to you? Things like that. You can also like look at 
parents do need to be in and check in on their kids' social media. It's important. Even for like very mature kids, lots of times there's stuff that is just beyond what their young brains can handle. And so how do you how do you how do you tell them that? Yeah, honey, I I love you enough to be involved and I love you enough to be in there. How do you convey that? Just like that. Where it's the anybody if it's if you have a teenager and you haven't been checking all this time, you can say, like, listen, I'm learning about how rough things can get. I didn't realize how bad it could be, but I do now. And so I just want to make sure that things are safe. I want to make sure that that things are okay. And when if when you get in there and you see their DMs back and forth and you see their messages and teenagers are teenagers, so they're going to say wildly inappropriate stuff. And they're going to have language that you think is so vulgar, you don't know what to do with yourself. You don't address that stuff. They get to do right. that. As teenagers, we said terrible things when our parents weren't around. They just didn't hear it. Well, that's if you're right. reading the messages, that's the modern version of that. Yeah. They get to say those things. They get to call each other names because they're friends and they get to use the F word as much as they want to, as long as it's not around adults and as long as they're not being disrespectful. Yeah. And so you're not going to dig into that stuff or correct them on those things. But when you see dangerous stuff, when there's people trying to manipulate them or people trying to like say or do things that are not okay, that's what you're in there for. And that's what- Yeah, but you, you don't then. trust me then. See, yeah, 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 but you don't trust me, Dan. You know, and, and this is my private, you know, this is this is my privacy. It's not a democracy. This is a parentocracy. And in the same way that like, you, go. you know, I do trust you. <laughs> I, trust, I trust you so much to have it to begin with, but also some of the stuff is big and hard. And there are people out there who are amazing at manipulation and they could even potentially manipulate me but they're not even going to try because I'm an adult. And so I I just know what to look for. I know what to have a heads up for. And it may may not even be on your radar for any of that stuff. And so it's not that I don't trust you. You get to do you get to do as much or as as little as you want to on those things. I just have to make sure you're safe. That's my job. Really good. Really good. You say some other things about, you know, friend your kids online and you talk about linking to their accounts keeping the lines of communication going. And that's just your mantra through all of this stuff and monitor your child's history. Take a look at their web browsers and see what's going on. And like you said, too, make sure you're seeing who's contacting them and what are people saying? And there's a lot of wolves out there, a lot of people in in, in sheep's clothing that are, are trying to hurt our young people and using this platform as a way to manipulate and selfishly get their own needs met. And you say that it's a lot of effort, sometimes a daunting task, but the gain is worth the effort if we can put it in there. I would agree with that. Hey, as we're kind of coming now to the end of our, our our time here, give us a story that stands out to you about some of these conversations that we're having today and some of the ways that you're seeding ideas to promote and encourage this kind of just gritty conversation with our kids. What stands out from maybe a, a time in your practice of a family doing some good work around this? This is an easy one. There was a 15-year-old boy, a young man. And he was acting up all over the place. Like he was getting in more and more trouble. I mean, he was also actually starting to self-harm. And the more the more questions I asked, the more things that I that I looked at, it very clearly was he just he didn't have a reasonable relationship with his parents. He really didn't. And so that was his behavior was communicating. I need you and then I need you to pay attention to me. And so my work with with that family was 90% with the parents where I coached them through about date your kids, about have that intentional daily time, spend the time with them, no matter what it is. I coached them up on how to bring up some of these harder conversations about how to talk to him about his mental health. And it absolutely positively completely extinguished the behaviors. 
I, I did I did very, very minimal like coping skills or any strategies with the kid of some stuff about how to get through a moment, like basically like breathing techniques. That yeah. was it. It was all from the parents being there for that kid and him being able to trust that relationship. So instead of being in his room, ruminating and then therefore self-harming, whenever his stuff would start to get dark, he would walk, he'd walk out of the room and sit down with his mom and know that if he wanted to talk, he could. If not, he could just be right there. But he, he wasn't going to cut and he was going to make it through that moment because he now knew that she was going to be there for him. It, it took all, almost no time and completely changed their lives. Yeah, you're talking, you went back to this theme of kind of as clinicians, we talk about, you know, the attachment and, and ruptured attachments or, you know, non-available attachment. We talked to with a guy in a recent podcast who talked about these attachments ideas being thwarted belonging. And, and, and I just love that phrase. We, we, we need yeah. to belong and we need to know that we can go to. And when that's thwarted, then you say, well, all, all behavior is communication. And like you said earlier, and, and this behavior is just the, the teen's best way to communicate. But if we can give them a different way to do it by coaching the parents up and tooling them up, man, what changes we can see actually occur? Yeah, absolutely. If they're going to tell you something, whether they, like you said, they're verbally going to tell it or they're behaviorally going to tell it to you. Yeah, and if right. you can give that doorway in where they can tell it to you verbally, they don't need to communicate the other ways. Right. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, well, Michael, as we're winding down today, I'd love for folks to have access to you, to some resources around teen and adolescent mental health, Evolve Counseling, your work. Give us some resources, would you? Absolutely. So the website is Evolve Counseling AZ. Dot com, And my social media is Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and all of those is Michael Klinkner Counseling. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I love the encouraging, gritty, courageous message that you're leaving with parents. Parenting is not an easy task, but it is a phenomenal role that we get to step into. And also not even with parenting, just those that are engaged with our youth for today. It's a, it's a, it's a privileged role. And it's a role that they need us to be in to help shepherd and guide and be curious and interested about. And uh, it's a good conversation. I sure appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much. Great to have you back with us. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Michael and me today. It's always great to have you. I want to remind you that today's episode and its resources, as well as all of our other podcasts, can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage triadhq.com slash bht and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials thanks again for being with us on this show and we look forward to having you back with us next time on behavior health today we appreciate all the support from our community and if you like our show one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review behavioral health today is a podcast part of the tribe network all rights reserved